You love broccoli? Oh, I absolutely love broccoli. Really? Yeah, I love the little guys. You can't get better than a nice stir-fry with some broccoli in it. I like a bit of broccoli, too. So, the first thing I wanted to talk about today was the fact that Jules says Bing it, not <laughs> Google it. <laughs> That's the first thing you want to talk about? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> what, and what do you want to know about this, the fact that I say Bing it? Well, I guess I want to know why you don't Google for many reasons, and why you don't use practically any Google services. I don't really use many Google services, no. I do sometimes use the web search when it is the default in a browser that I'm using, one of my many browsers. Um, but by by default, I tend to use Bing search on my phone and on my PC in Edge, which is the browser that I use to actually just surf the web. Um, I don't know. I've said it for years, haven't I, Bing it? I've said it for a long yeah, time. Yeah, and it always makes me laugh because... No one else I've ever met has said Bing it. Well, and before that, though, let's let's face it, before that he said MSN it. Did I? No. Probably. <laughs> I don't think I did. <laughs> I did I did try uh, MSN search, uh, but I wasn't super keen. And when they rebranded it to Live Search, again, I gave it a really good go. But it actually, it wasn't until um, the version... The first version that was called Bing before it actually became something that I that I really used. Um, I can't remember what it was. It had a code name, um, which I think was it was something like Kudu or something. It was it was a, it started with a K. I know Kudu is something else, but um, it was uh, the the original code name. It was kind of like a spider based code name, I think, of the of what became Bing. And they tried a few different names, and it was in the Steve Bulmer era. And they came up with Bing as as the name. Kumo. And the original, yeah, the 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 original kind of idea there was that you could say Bing it, and that was why they chose that name. Essentially, is the fact that it, it is something you can say. Um, and I do say it without even thinking about it. Uh, if someone says that they are looking for something, I will just say Bing it. Have a look. Yeah, but no one else understands that apart from you, and then probably people. No, I, people do, people do, and um, and people will say, "Oh, well, I don't use Bing," and I say, "Well, Bing it on Google." Then. Yeah, exactly. It's bizarre. So you know what Google is, and you know you you must know that the majority of people say Google it, even if they mean just generally searching on for the you know searching the web. Not in Russia, don't they have Yandex? Is Yandex their search engine in Russia? Yandex it. <laughs> but, but I think for me, Google's not my default choice. It, but I, like I say, I do use it. It is used on some of the browsers that I use by default. So, I, and then I haven't really changed uh, the settings on that. So the reason you use Bing is because it's the default browser in all of your um, browsers. Well, it's not the default browser. Default search engines are Canary, is it? Uh, I don't. I don't, yeah, I don't use Canary, actually, John. I use Chromium. Um, but it is the default browser in in Edge, which is my primary browser. Um, and it is the default browser on my phone. So, yes, it is the default browser of the software that I use. What I meant to say there was devices as well. Because, obviously, you have a, a Windows phone. Yeah, and, and an Xbox. It's the default browser on the Xbox, uh, default search engine on the Xbox as well. Cortana uses it in the back end. 
Um, it's uh, you know I I use some of the uh, other uh, MSN apps that use Bing in the in the background as well. Um, but yeah, I, I mean I do use Google occasionally. How do you, how do you find Bing? Fine. Does, does it do the job for you? Yeah, I mean I d- I don't think I've had any kind of issues uh, using it. I mean I use it for. Uh, searching the web, I use it for image searches and things like that. I use it for video searches too. I have it logged in, so I have uh, my search history. So I do. If I actually look at my search history, I can see previous searches that I've done on other devices. I'm sure other people use this those kind of features on Google, but as I do not have a Google account, I don't use any of those features on Google. Um, so I find that if I do a search on Google, it's probably going to be something. Uh, based on trying to fix something in if I'm currently working in a particular browser so chromium I often use um, for logging into certain systems if I just so happen to already be in that browser I will open up a new tab and do a search in there for something and usually that's the kind of thing like find this piece of documentation um, whereas you know if I want to look for a load of images on a particular subject it's Bing that I use for that um so i think google google i just use because it's there in those browsers i just tried to get to bing and googled bing so i'm doing well <laughs> what is your like problem with uh, i know this is this is a rather big topic to go into but uh you have quite a problem with google in general don't you yeah, I've never been much of a fan of um, of Google. I mean, when the search engine when they were a search engine company and it first came out, I, I used it a lot, and I thought it was the best thing around. Because previously, I used things like Yahoo. Um, but over time, I just found that uh, the Google kind of attitude wasn't really one that I I liked that much. I just I don't I didn't like some of the way that they presented themselves, but also as they started to branch out more into things like advertising, I just became less and less um, aligned to their vision, to their goals, um, to the point where I ended up just deciding to, um, I can't remember when it was, I probably could if I looked it up, but I actually decided to delete my Google account. Um, And it took a while, I was, it was on my task list for a while. It was in my notebook. I was basically saying, okay, I'm going to get rid of this account. When am I going to do it? What, you know, um, do I, have I got everything out of it? Uh, and the main re- the only reason I have a Google account is because I got a Gmail account when Gmail came out for the first time. It was invitation only. Um, but I, I think, I don't know. It was a number of things. It was just this kind of realization that, by being logged into this Google account, it was following me around the web. It was seeing what I was doing. It was uh, tracking all my searches. Um, and the the kind of, the reason I stopped using Chrome, um, and I can't remember what I had to switch to, uh, was Edge. When I uh, no Edge wasn't around then. Uh, I think I just I think I just forced myself to use IE because I, I used uh, Chrome for software development. Um, but it was the the time that I saw that all the, all my passwords were just kind of stored in it in plain text, and I just I was like, oh, what the, I I don't like this. 
Um, and of course, it was synchronized to all machines because I was logging in with my Google account. So by by going into my work computer that that is authenticated using the Active Directory inside of my organization, or not my organization, but the organization that I was working for at the time, someone could then interactively log onto the machine as me, go into the browser, which is logging in as me, as far as Google's concerned, and then see all of my passwords for everything. Um, and I, I think I didn't like that. And so I deleted everything out of my Chrome, my customizations. And then later on, the, the account got deleted too. If I remember correctly, um, I, they put a password filter on that. So you have to enter a password to then see those passwords. But I don't know if they're still stored in plain text. Yeah, um, I don't know either. I mean, you need to enter in a password to be able to see them on Windows. And when I say plain text, I mean visibly plain. I don't necessarily say that it's stored plain text on the disk. I mean, they're obviously not difficult to unhash anyway because they're being viewed. Yeah, but that's but it's. A, I think it is. It's a complicated, and there's. You probably asked me on different days, and I'll probably have different reasons. But I think it's just over time. I've just been less interested in what Google do. Yeah, it's a very it's a very common thing uh, that I see around quite a lot and hear people talking about. It's the fact that Google are quite uh, stalky. I guess you could say they're quite stalky around yeah. the internet and stuff, and people don't really like that stuff. But you. I don't know, you, you hear a lot of people that are like, oh, I don't really like it, so I'm just not going to use their products, but at the same time, they still use Google. Um, whereas you, you you actually don't have an account with them anymore. Yeah, and and I think it's one of those things where, obviously, I don't mind giving up some of that information because it benefits me. Like, for example, Cortana does know where I am, so therefore I get the benefits of Cortana telling me when to leave for work. And I know that Google does a similar thing, but obviously, you know, I've decided that these guys, uh, I'm okay with them having the data. These guys, I'm not. And for whatever reason, that's just the way that it's landed. Um, it's it's just the way it, it, it is for me. Uh, the lack of, a, of, a, of an account means that it's basically meant that I can't really use a, an Android phone or anything like that. And I don't really want to create a new Google account. I want to I want to see if I can get away with not creating one. So that kind of blocks off all of that side of things. There's a lot of Google when you go to it that just asks for a login. I don't know if you've ever seen, if someone Mm. tries to share a a document or anything like that, it just asks for a login and you can't get in. So they're they're kind of blocking a lot of stuff like that. The the funny thing about that, um, just on the Android sense, my dad has had multiple Android phones over the years, which I'm... Ashamed to admit. Um, but every time he gets a new phone, I'm pretty sure he sets up a new Google account. So I don't know how many <laughs> accounts he has with them. Because he just he doesn't remember his password or whatever, you know, typical uh, techie stuff. But it's quite funny. You should use a password manager. Yeah, like getting my dad to use a password manager would be very difficult. Well, really, I mean, I don't want, I don't want to be using a password manager. I want a system that actually knows who I am. I mean, it's obvious that... I am. I have authenticated using the best type of authentication possible to my computer, which is using my face, you know, for recognition. And then I go to a website, and it's now now type in this really crappy small password to authenticate to say that it's you. Where I've already made the best possible type of authentication against the machine that I'm using, and then defaulting down to this really bad authentication just to get into this 
this part of it. it it would be better if there was some way of it just knowing i authenticate once it knows who i am carry on yeah i mean apple's keychain has some stuff for that in ios at least where you know you authenticate using yeah. touch id and then you can store yeah. things in touch id uh but you can get stuff like with facebook you can use things like YubiKeys and stuff like that and i know it's not the same i know it's not you but it becomes um easy you know having support for just like having effectively a usb stick that you plug into your computer that you can log into anything with but by, by just tapping it um i i've always liked the idea of that i just i don't know it just seems a bit archaic when as Jules says you know we can sign in with your face and on apple iphones and devices and even the macbook you can use your watch or your fingerprint and yeah i don't know I wouldn't know how you would transpose something like facial recognition all the way over to something like Facebook or logging into emails. Saying saying that, um, now you can pay uh, online with uh, Touch ID and Apple Pay, which is quite good. So Yeah, there, there is support for apps to use things like Windows Hello. Yeah, apps, but not I'm talking about how the web the web will adopt this. Yeah, less less sure about the web. I'm not sure if there are ways of integrating into it. The only issue is I'm pretty sure you have to use you have to use Safari to use Touch ID and Apple Pay on the Mac. Mm-hmm. You do. Yeah. So no no Chrome support, which obviously Well yeah, and but this is to do with the way the these biometric securities are built into the operating systems, right? So Correct. with with apps like on Windows, it uses Windows Hello its API underneath, which is tied into the operating system, which stores all that core crucial information, the stuff that you don't want people to know mm-hmm. uh, about. And the same with the secure enclave on <clears throat> Apple devices. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they are hardware chips, right? Presumably on, I don't know, on the Surface Book, there will be some kind of secure area on the Surface Book where it stores biometric information. There might be wrong tools, but... But having said this, as soon as you start transposing this over to the web, you have to give someone else that data or a variation or a derivative of that data. And this is where it becomes even worse than password security, right? Someone has your finger, like a, a version of your fingerprint, digitized fingerprint. Well, you don't, you don't share that data. No, you share a derivative. Like you might have a public private key pair right and you encrypt some form of derivative it's almost like a hashing out like a hashing algorithm right but at the same time that hashing that hashing is done server side right so you still have to send that data the whole of that data up to the server you still send your whole password up to the server they just don't store um they just don't store the whole password they store like a hash a one-way hash of it right so i wouldn't be comfortable sending any of my fingerprint data even over some form of transport layer over the web. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's probably happening anyway, but as soon as you start logging in with your face or your fingerprint to Facebook, it, it's it's like a, another attack surface, but the repercussions of that are, well, pretty bad, to say the least. I wonder if you'll be able to disable access and only allow fingerprint access. What happens if you lose your fingers? But well, there you go. I mean, you've got bigger problems, Jordan, if you lose your fingers. 
Well, I don't know. If 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 we get to the point whereby someone can access everyone else's stuff just by using a finger, there is a real opportunity yeah, for sure. someone to just you know chop off someone's finger. And I know uh, it's my understanding that the Apple device checks to make sure that you're alive. Oh, really? Yeah, it is. It's, I'm pretty it's, sure it, it's because yeah. it scans under the skin, doesn't it? To make sure if you if you use a dead finger, it doesn't work. Yeah, it's, I think it's, it might be to do with heat as well. Infrared. Yeah, so I don't know if it, if you microwave a finger, perhaps that works. I don't know. So the biometric sensor knows if you're alive or dead. I'm going to stick this in the show notes. <laughs> but it doesn't know if you're asleep or not, which I've always raised the point that it's very easy for someone yeah, to just still alive. Someone to just come up behind me. So what if you What if you were really tired, like in which you typically are? And then someone sticks your finger on. Oh, if you stick your own finger on and it doesn't work because it thinks you're less, asleep. I'd be less worried about sticking my own finger on because it's me. But if someone like pops into my bedroom while I'm asleep, grabs my phone, gets my so finger. Is this, is this oh, why the face is better? Does this help with the face? Because obviously, you know, you've got to be looking at the, the screen. You've got to have your eyes open. Does the, by, well, does the facial recognition sensor know if you're alive or dead? Uh, it knows if you're twins or not. That wasn't the so question. So if, if, if you have if you have two if you have two identical twins that look identical to us, and then try and log in as someone else, it doesn't work. Obviously, it doesn't work with a piece of paper, which I think one of Samsung's phones was yep. confused by. Uh, but I, presumably, if you put a corpse in front of it, it won't work. I don't know. I've not tried it. Yeah, let's not find out. But I like how you I like how you changed the question there into twins. Well, it's worth mentioning because of the fact that there is some, there is, you know, that's that's something that is more realistic, right? There are going to be identical twins who have their own computers and want to be able to authenticate them as themselves. Um, so it's, it's worth knowing that it is capable of differentiating between those kinds of differences. So I think it's very it minute would be differences. able to work. Yeah, it's a small amount of differences. I mean, at the same time, no one has the same fingerprint, apparently, so, you know, covered on the finger side. Yeah, I mean, I, I think both are good. Uh, the, the one that I'm not so keen on, and I do have it enabled, is the iris recognition on my phone, because you have to hold your phone just right for it to, for, the screen, uh, for the sensor to be able to see your eyes. Uh, it's less convenient than the one that's built into the Surface Book. So I don't I don't tend to use that very often. I do have it enabled, but I don't actually use it to log in because by the time I've typed in my PIN, I'm already in. Yeah, it's, it's come to the point now where Touch ID for me on my phone and my iPad, in fact, is just amazing. It's so fast. Like, you know, you, you press the home button and you're in anyway. It's, it's amazing. I, I do love Touch ID. So I'd be interested to see what it's like on a Mac, though. I was just going to say, uh, let's hope they don't move that button to the back of the iPhone. Yeah, uh, luckily more leaks now as I'd say that it's it's not going to be on the back, which is great to know. Oh, good. That would be horrific. I tried one of the Nexus phones that had the, what is it called a Pixel now? I, I, can't, I can't remember. Uh, that has the sensor on the back. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't too keen on it. And the I think the new um, the new Samsung one has one on the back right next to where the camera is. And I have not tried one of those, but it kind of makes me think that I would put my fingers all over the camera lens. 
looking at the back of the Pixel phone, it's quite, I don't know, it's quite ridiculous because the the fingerprint sensor is so high and in the sensor. And it's like, I just feel like you're going to have to reach for that every single time. I think you do. I think when you hold, when you pick it up, you kind of hold it in that way. But for me, I would rather have, obviously, I like the face recognition on the actual laptop itself, the Surface Book as a laptop. But having the touch on a physical or semi-physical button for me is is the preferred option, especially uh, the way that they does it on the iPhone, because you can have it sat on a desk and press the button, whereas if it's on the back, you can't do that. And so you can't really log in with your face if the device is flat on a table either. Yeah, yeah, that is true. And you, you can't obviously use a fingerprint sensor if it's on the back. I mean, so the the other interesting was with the Xperia Z5, was it, with the fingerprint sensor on the side? Yes, I really like that, actually. I wouldn't mind that as much. I don't think I would at all. Yeah, I quite like that one. So I don't know about how it works on the iPhone, but on Windows, once you've authenticated and logged in, be it on Windows phone anyway, when you log in using your iris or by entering in a pin or whatever it is you use to log into your device... It, it has a timeout before it actually um, locks again. So the way that the the one that I have works, which is the Lumia 950, is that you can just double tap the screen and it comes back on. So once, it's, once you've authenticated, if you just want to just check the screen, just check what's going on, you can just double tap, tap the screen, unlock and continue. Now, if you had a fingerprint sensor on the side of the device, which is where the power button is on a Lumia, then it's not that easy to press while it's flat on a surface, so if it's sat on a desk. But if you only had to do that every 15 minutes or whatever, you know, once you've once it's seen your fingerprint, it stays unlocked for 15 minutes, you can just double tap the screen and see it, then that would be fine. I think but for me I think the the top is the preferred option unless it's all screen and there's some reason why you cannot have it on the on the front, sorry. Yeah, uh, but then the side is my second favourite. Back. No. I just not keen. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the, the fact that it's on the front. I mean, I've just picked up my phone and I've realized that actually I don't hold my phone anywhere near the power button because I don't use the power button to turn the thing on. I just, you know, press the home button and it authenticates. So it's it's a win-win really. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't want to have to start using the power button to turn it on or, you know, to, to, to unlock it instead of the home button. Because that's, I mean, that's been... It's been the way since the start for an iPhone is that you you know you press the the home button. Um, so I'm not, I'm not I don't know definitely not on the back. Uh, major fan of it being on the front at the bottom, and the side yeah again second. Mm-hmm. There is a phone that I've seen recently um, that is pretty much edge to edge display and it's made out of titanium. I don't know if you guys have seen it. What what was it called? Um, uh, it's like a new startup and it looks absolutely incredible and I will have one of them if it ran at iOS. <laughs> oh, you're talking about the Essential phone. Yes, Andy Rubens. Yes. Look so at he that. Left, he left Google to work on this. Yeah, like, I don't really care that it's made out of titanium, but obviously having a phone that won't scratch as easily and, and, and when you drop it on the floor probably won't actually uh, blemish. Um is amazing but just look at that look at that screen right yeah this thing is gorgeous yeah it's an absolutely amazing device i mean it's designed specifically 
to be the best it can be. I mean, that's it is it is pretty incredible looking device. If I have enough money just to buy one to have one and still use my iPhone, I will buy one of them. From a hardware point of view, I would love one as well. Yeah, I've never seen a phone, even the iPhones. I've gone and looked at it and gone, I will buy that. Just you know, I don't care what the price is. Well, okay, within reason, but it's it is quite expensive. But it's made of titanium, so it's it's bound to be. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is an exercise in just if we can just make something that's amazing, what would it be like? Yeah. And this, it's easier to do, well, I say it's not that easy. I mean, obviously, these guys have been working on it for a long time, but it's easier to do that now than it ever has been, right? They've, you know, they can go, they can start up a new business and create a new phone now mm. easier than you've been able to do in the past. Before, only the likes of someone like Apple will be able to produce something like this. Yeah, but this is, this is gorgeous. And if you, if you, you also, there's the, um, They've got this this home base with it as well that looks awesome, right? I use my Apple Watch as my, like, at the side of my bed, I've got a little stand that I put my Apple Watch on. It tells me the time and everything, which is quite nice. And I like, for instance, being just able to tap the the, the edge of the like the, my table, my bedside table, just to get the time on. But sometimes I wish it was something with a bigger screen. So I could see, right, okay, it's the time and this is the weather and this is what I've got at first, you know, 9 a.m. this morning. And it'd be integrated with my calendars and stuff like that. And I know there are things out there that do that. And I know there's this new Amazon thing that, that does it, the Amazon the Show. Echo Show. Yeah. However. This is a different class. Yeah, yeah. That that Amazon Show looks ridiculous. It, yeah, it does. It looks like something like VTech, you know, the people who make pretend kids' laptops would make. This is like Apple quality build hardware. Yeah, and this is like Amazon designer. are kind of aiming for the general consumer, you know, put it in your kitchen, it'll be okay and you can chuck oil on it. Yeah, I think the the, the technique and it works really well for uh, Amazon is the fact that people go to Amazon to search for things to buy and they've got the prime area there for advertising and it's so easy for, to just add it to the basket i mean i i use amazon for for shopping as well and so i've heard all about all these devices and i don't have many i've got a couple of amazon devices but i don't have many of them but i've heard of them all i know that they all exist because of the fact that they are they are advertised on that destination in a similar way that google advertise their stuff on on their search engine because people go directly to Amazon to search for products these days. They don't search for it on, on Google or Bing. They just go to Amazon. I actually, uh, so I have free in my house right now, uh, free Echo Dots. Um, I use them mostly to, this is my bedroom one I use to control the lights in there and get kind of weather updates in the morning before I go for my walk. Uh, the, the one in my office I actually is mostly just to turn on the lights and uh, power for my desk and on and off the one downstairs is uh quite good for timings in the kitchen so that's pretty good I, I do enjoy them and i'm kind of looking to continue to use them and the echo show uh is potentially something i'm interested in because i i tend to watch like youtube videos for example when i'm cooking so i think that'd be quite helpful for me um 
But we'll have to see if Apple come out with anything. Siri in a tin, potentially. I think you would prefer that, wouldn't you? I mean, I, I think this will be a topic for another time, but I think yeah, you definitely. would prefer to have an Apple Siri, you know, well, the, in your this, home. So I've actually been... Um, taking some time this year to kind of migrate a lot of things like my calendar which was all in uh iCal or I, you know calendar apple calendars uh, over to google calendars so i can integrate it with different stuff and that still is quite worrying when it comes to um this kind of thing because the the syrian a tin product would probably uh not be able to integrate with things that are not home kit for example well you've got ift for that though Sure, but yeah, I don't want to have to defer that. I want direct integrations. Uh, luckily, uh, Wemo have actually just re- announced a, um, a HomeKit hub, similar to the way you know Hue um, lights work. So that'll be interesting. But at the same time, like, there's so many products that don't work with HomeKit that are actually really great products, and I can just integrate them with my Echo Dots, and they're fine. I'm gonna be honest, Siri in a can is the idea right now for Apple. Why can't they just fix Siri first, right? I'm sorry, but I have a serious issue with the quality of Siri as a personal assistant. It's crap. It really, it, it, it is like um, the only thing I use it for is a glorified timer, and even now, even still, it gets it wrong. I tried to turn up. I tried to turn my lights, uh, you know, using the Siri command, right? Like, you know, my phone's on the table, I'm on the sofa, he's turn on the living room lights. Oh, whoops. Great. <laughs> One thing I was going to say about this is, um, I think this is a very well-known thing, and if they are going to release Siri in a can, then they're, they're definitely going to have to improve it, and I think that's potentially something that they're going to look at. Um, yeah, but but no, I would, I, I it's going to, they fix it first, then I'll buy the can, not we'll release the can and say we're fixing it. Sure. I mean, as we record this, it is Saturday the 3rd of June, and on the 5th of June is WWDC 2017, um, which some have rumoured to be quite heavily uh, concentrated around Siri, so we'll see what they do there. Mm, I'm probably not going to watch it. I might, like, you know, pop in and, and have a quick gander, but, you know, I'm not, like I said, I'm, I'm not a fan of anything Apple are doing at the moment. When you go to, like, just going back to Essential, when you look at that phone and you look at their website and you look at why they're doing it and you look at what's going on there and you look at the price and the cost point, right? Yeah, that's that's where the, the Echo definitely competes really well because the Echo Dots are, you know, 50 quid, 50 pounds, and the Siri and a can will be... Okay, so you can't actually compare the Echo Dots to the Siri and a can because the Echo would be is 150 pounds and that would be directly compared to whatever apple produce but i imagine that'll be at least double the price if you'd like to keep updated with the mavis podcast our twitter handle is at mavis podcast and you can also find us at mavispodcast.com we're on itunes under mavis and we'd really appreciate your reviews and of course feel free to tweet us any questions thanks for listening to the mavis podcast so the next thing I wanted to talk about today was the um, picture we're probably going to have in the show notes. Well, we're going to have in the show notes. Um, and it's basically about how the five tech giants make the majority of their, their revenue. 
the companies are Apple, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, and Facebook. And I thought we'd go through them and uh, kind of get your thoughts on where they are right now, as well as where uh, where they could go and how we think that their revenue shares could change over time. I think you should start with Apple, Jordan. Tell us your thoughts. <sighs> given that the fact, given the fact that they're the most valuable company in the world, I'm I'm kind of surprised <laughs> that they really don't offer that much. And they make so much money off one product. Um, oh, just you wait. Yeah, right. And I know. I mean, I know. I'm uh, yeah. And actually, thinking about it, uh, the majority of this list is probably going to be. We'll have to have a kind of a similar running theme. But Apple, um, Apple make sixty three percent of their earnings are made up of iPhone. Ten percent is is iPad. Eleven percent is Mac. Eleven percent is services, and five percent is in quotes, other products. So other products includes the watch, AirPods, Beats, and companies now, like that. Now, notice that as a technology company, right, having all your eggs in one basket, like the iPhone, considering most of the world now own an iPhone, is a... It's, it's most of the world owns an iPhone. Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna, if you go on the street, and you you see someone at a bus stop. Most of the time, they've got an iPhone, right? Like, I'm bearing in mind that Apple are only just breaking into the uh, market in China. Okay, so they've, they've yeah, China got, is China doesn't sell. Yeah, China doesn't class as the world, right? They're they're, they're separate. No, but the fact is, I'm just saying that there are other uh, countries and places that they can still sell into, and it's recurring. <laughs> yeah. So let's just forget iPhone. For a second, so ten percent is iPad and eleven percent is Mac. The iPad is almost as as big in terms of their product line in terms of sales as the Mac. That's a scary concept to me personally, because growing up with Mac, like a MacBook, the original MacBook, you know, the white one and the black one, they were kind of few and far between, right? And then you kind of saw everyone step up. Uh, over the last kind of five five or so years, everyone has a Mac. Everyone has the, um, you know, the, either the Air or the, the the Retina MacBooks now, and the MacBook Baby, as you call it, adorable. The oh, that's it, the adorable Mac, the MacBook adorable, um, and iPads just kind of come up and and matched it. Yeah, the only people I really ever see with iPads now. Are uh, are you Andrew? So you may think this, um, but it's actually a really really bad story. So uh, 2014 quarter one, there were 26 million, yeah million iPad sales, and ever since, uh, so the quarter after it was 16, then 13, then 12, then 21, and then basically it's gone down ever since. Uh, so quarter four of 2016, which is actually where this uh, poster that we're looking at is from, they only made 9.3 million iPad sales in that quarter. And it's actually dropping. So so their revenue share, that, that 10%, is actually going to be getting lower unless they do something about that, which they've been trying, uh, obviously. Yeah, I mean, it's very hard to say to a company, you need to do something about this, because no, if ever, this I'm pretty is sure they're with, aware. Well, yeah, well, yeah, but what what I mean is, the 
it's like this whole iPhone thing because iPhone sales have dropped as well. Um, it, well, I say they've dropped. It it comes down to the fact that so many people own a version of an iPhone now, and their iPhones are pretty good. Like you know, the six is still a pretty good phone, right? The six S. They still sell it to some degree. People already have one, and they're like, "Well, I don't need an, I don't need to spend a thousand pounds on an iPhone seven. A thousand pounds, right? On a phone, and." To me, having the majority of your income that's susceptible to that problem, well, that's huge risk. The iPhone 8 is actually something that people are saying could make Apple very close to the $1 trillion company. Um, and people people are waiting out for the iPhone 8, and I think there's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of, uh, products sold and that especially if they pull off you know all the the rumors and stuff like that um and i was reading an article last night about apple becoming the pot- uh, potentially the first you know trillion dollar company and it said basically that in 12 to 18 months the uh the new iphone sales along with services could actually progress them towards that that mark and get them over that mark which would be insane i think that's very doable but I'm just saying, a company being a one trillion dollar company is is, you know, crazy. But um, it's still doable. I don't know. I don't think I'm qualified to make any to have any real opinions on the the this market. Is why you're on a podcast, Jordan. I'm not quite. Yeah, well, like I'm not qualified to 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 have too much of an opinion on whether or not iPhone sales or iPad sales, because we see like to us right now in this conversation, eight hundred. The nine billion or eight hundred and four billion or whatever it is dollars as a market cap it's probably more at the moment to a trillion is still two hundred billion dollars and to and right now with with that looks like a small number because of the, in relative terms right it's like twenty you know, ten twenty twenty five percent growth, but that's still two hundred billion dollars. As we speak right now, eight hundred and twelve point seven two billion. Okay, is the market cap. That's still just shy of two hundred billion dollars. That's a lot, right? And when we get into these figures, I don't, I don't know. I mean, yeah, okay. But if they're earning, if they're earning forty six billion in in profit every every quarter, which has actually risen in in February by quite a lot, um. I I don't see it being that far off. In yeah yeah, but your earnings don't sure those those earnings don't actually go to your market cap. But they're, they're definitely getting there. So there's some interesting things from from my point of view on this because again you know I'm not really an Apple uh, user in in that uh, that much. So, um, but the the thing that I think is quite interesting here is ten percent iPad, eleven percent Mac, eleven percent services. Uh, obviously, there's the the five percent other as well, but iPad, Mac, and services are very very similar there. And services makes me wonder because I don't really know much about what Apple services are. Apple Music, iCloud, uh, well, presumably buying things on the App Store. The thirty percent that they get from, from yeah, that's a good point. What that does that doesn't make sense? Don't they make huge? I mean, obviously they make a lot of money off iPhone, but 
Can I can I just add in that in so quarter one two thousand seventeen they made sixty nine percent was the iPhone the Mac was nine percent services was nine percent which is great and iPad was seven percent the rest was five so it's 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 changed um, Swift sales are actually grow uh, sorry not Swift sales service sales is actually growing massively no it's um, like what service sales are going up and up. Yeah, I mean, this must include things like the bookstore, the app store, the music. There's a link in the show notes uh, from Federico Vitici, uh, who goes through all of the quarter one 2017 statistics, which is actually really, really good. And you can see this kind of stuff. But sorry, Jules, as you were saying. Well, I was just, I was just saying that it's quite interesting that they are similar amounts, like the iPad and the Mac are at a very similar level in terms of um, the percentage. And... You know, I'm not. For me, the interest here is where they're where they're actually getting the money from, and and how they compare with each other more so than how much each individual one is. Because overall, I think the thing for this is that it, this kind of tells me what the diversity in the in the company's revenue streams actually are. You know, how they're actually going to get this this money, and. You know, at the moment, the iPad, the Mac, and services are all kind of level, and that's and that's interesting. It's the the iPhone is the one that is really dominating, um, but everyone everyone's a little bit different, or the other companies are a little bit different too. So yeah, the, the the thing I wanted to actually talk about with this this um, poster was actually where do you think uh, the the revenue is going to change over the years? Now I I said previously that I think services is going to rise a lot, and also the iPhone sales, given the iPhone eight, but. Further on than that, I'm not really sure um, what could happen here. It depends, obviously, it depends what Apple bring out. Yeah, I think it really does depend on what Apple is going to bring because we already have the iPhone. We already have the iPad. We already have the Mac. The watch was a new addition, but the watch isn't on this list. And It goes in other. Yeah, and... You know, we, I'm sure over the course of time, we'll talk more about where we think technology is going in the future. But I think there will be more of this ambient computing in general, whereby things like Siri in a tin uh, and other kind of things like that will start to become more commonplace. You won't just want a phone. You'll want a phone and some other screens that also work together. And it'll be interesting to see that how, um, how Apple kind of uh, respond to that or, or hopefully lead, we'll see. Um, I, I don't know if they will, but we'll see. And the other one is the um, is VR, augmented reality, and those kind of things as well. I'd be interested to see. So ambient computing and augmented reality. So this was uh, something I was going to actually mention. We've, we've spoken in private before about uh, the VR and AR kind of thing that Apple are not showing any signs of doing any of that stuff yet. Um, do you reckon that Apple could could be a leader in that and potentially make up uh, a large proportion of their sales from it? I, I, the thing is, honestly, I don't know. But what I can guess based on this, uh, the, the, the graphic that we're looking at here, which shows the percentages, I think it's likely that we will see something else appear in that list which is along the same lines, where it is a piece of hardware with a specific form factor and has some software and an ecosystem around it. So iPhone is a particular size of device that has 
uh, a, a main purpose and a, a, its own software, its own version of iOS and an ecosystem around it. The iPad's the same, the Mac's the same, though it's a little bit different. They're all kind of this hardware, software, ecosystem combinations where it is a particular type of device. That's how this is split. So I wouldn't be surprised to see another one pop in there and be a similar kind of hardware software combination. So whether that is the augmented reality or the emic viewing or whatever else they may come up with, I wouldn't be surprised to see something along those lines. In terms of whether they can lead with it, I think that's probably a, a question for another day. But I, but what I'm saying is I wouldn't be surprised to see more of the same from Apple. So more some device, iDevice, something added to here that has specific software on it, that has a specific use case that may slot in and get some of the percentage. I don't know whether the watch will um, increase enough to be, to be uh, you know, a percentage in its own right, something like 10% in its own right. Um, I don't know, but I'd be interested to see if they add those kind of wearables as, a, as its own thing, if, if they include glasses or something. Like that. that would be great to see. Um, the I heard the, the the fact that the Apple Watch sales is actually a Fortune 500 company in itself, which is crazy, but it still technically goes under other, which is is funny. Um, I am looking to all. I, I'm given that Apple uh announced the statement about the Mac Pro, I am interested to see how the 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 quality figures uh kind of change when that comes out, because I imagine there's that. Well, I know there's a lot of people waiting for that Mac Pro. Um, especially if they release uh, custom displays as well. Again, I'll be all over that myself. So I'm looking forward to that. But the the Mac sales have actually been fairly consistent, which is surprising. Obviously, quarter two 2016 was a uh, four million sales, which was their lowest since four 2014, I think. Four point one in quarter two 2014. Um, and they they managed to go up again, releasing that new MacBook, but. I think the next thing for the Mac is really is um, touchscreen. The Mac Pros, they're not going to do touchscreens, um, and yeah, I I I want to see that new Mac Pro, uh, but I, again, I don't think it will make that much of a difference to the Mac sales. Well, no, it'll be aimed at professionals. Exactly, but I would like to see the effect of that in their sales. Apple, a mystery. Yeah, always. But we'll we'll find out. We'll see what they do in the next couple of years and maybe review this topic in the future. Moving on, uh, if we're all done with Apple, the next one is Alphabet, which is an absolutely hilarious one because 88% of their revenue is from advertising. No, wait, stop. 80% of their revenue is from pure thin air. Literally. If you think about pay-per-click and advertising... It's called advertising. I, 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 I know it's called advertising, Andrew, but it's pure air. It's they are making money. It's not a product. They provide an advertising platform. Yeah, but that's 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 the the, the world of computers these days. The world of the internet. It's the internet that they made. Yeah, yeah. What exactly? What I'm trying to say is, it's crazy that they can make billions of people clicking something and nothing happening, no one getting anything to their door, there's no physical object. It's complete. Well, they do help facilitate that, you know, sales and conversion rates. Well, converting sales through pay-per-click ads. Yeah, totally. But 
you know, if you log on to Google, if you go log on, log on to Google, open a browser, do a Google search, and click the first result that's a paper sit. No, but as soon as you click that button, Google have made money. Google makes some money off that, and in that sense, it's crazy. And they always say, or they always have said, that the that that's how they pay for all the other services that are free. So, you know, Gmail and everything else, but they're still making money off those. It's free to us. Gmail is no longer free. Sorry. Gmail? So Gmail, yeah. Gmail is no longer free. Uh, sorry, G Suite. Yeah, G Suite, that's for businesses. But Gmail's free, but then, you know, they make money off you by scanning your emails and powering your AI, uh, powering their AI or whatever. You know, training them, training them, their systems to understand what's going on. The the thing about the the uh, alphabet revenue is the the other bets, which is uh, Nest and Google Fiber and that kind of thing. They're they're one percent. Google Fiber shut down. Well, be less than that then. The the whole that side of Google and uh, Alphabet, they're actually you know not doing very well. Uh, they lost like I think they said it was a, a billion dollars in two thousand. Sorry, in two thousand sixteen, yeah, between two thousand sixteen and seventeen, they lost a billion dollars between those projects. But um, coming back to what we're talking about here, I actually think it would be interesting to see anyway which projects kind of take off and make large revenue shares, like the the Waymo, the self driving car stuff. They could be, you know, they they could be the lead in that easily because they're obviously making really great moves of it now uh, so in the future who knows how much of their revenue share will be made up of of the self-driving car things yeah but but where's the commercialization model for that right we don't actually know selling cars or selling the software for cars yeah 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 so there's a lot of money in that and it, and it won't be you know clicking this is a thing there's a lot of money in it but there's not as much money as in search advertising right because yeah, well, it's funded by search advertising. I I think this is the thing. You know, search search advertising probably has some kind of limit. I hope it has some kind of limited life. But what they're doing is they're using it to boost themselves in other areas. It's it's direct. That money is directly going into bets, things that they are betting on. And the self driving cars is something that they're betting on, really. But I think it's a safe bet. And I'm not saying that uh, you know they're they're gonna manage to beat their advertising revenue in in self driving cars because I don't think that's possible with the amount of money they make in self driving cars, but they could make up a percentage which will give them a bit of a healthier looking revenue share really. Yeah, because this is the thing. This is a lot of money, but it doesn't look healthy, does it? It's well, it's the, you're insinuating well, everything doesn't look healthy. Air. Well, you say you're the one who said that this is just air, right? Yeah, exactly. Your whole point was that if this goes away... No, 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 no. What I'm saying is it's just thin air, which is actually much better. It's actually much healthier than Apple selling a hardware product at 63%. It's money for uh, something that you're doing on the other end, which is essentially, yeah, yeah, you're showing something to someone's eyeballs and you're getting a lot of money for that. Whereas Apple have a lot of work to do into the iPhone. And you don't often get people saying, well, I don't like these Google these latest Google adverts, so I'm not going to look at them. Or I'm going to get, I'm going to not up, upgrade. And this is where it doesn't, it doesn't look unhealthy, right? Because 70, 70 billion dollars of revenue comes from thin air, right? 
And you, we say, oh, well, they lost a billion dollars on all their other bets. Well, they lost a billion dollars, but we're talking about things like, you know, Waymo and, and self-driving cars. <laughs> if if Google can make a product like, or have Waymo make seven over $70 billion in revenue, that I don't even think that's possible because that would be more than the iPhone, right? Or just around the same as the iPhone. And that would mean putting... 400 million, several hundred million self-driving, well, probably slightly less, maybe 10 times less. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to do that. But I think that the fact that, that you know they're calling them other bets means that they, they want to make some, some good money off of this to maybe help out on the revenue share. And I don't I don't think they, they're not going to make up 88% of their revenue share with with um, self-driving cars. But if they can make, uh, you know, 10% of it on their own, uh, of that, right that'd be that'd be impressive yeah i still think we're years and years and years away from it it making huge amounts of money sure that's that's what they're doing they're you know they're they're planning for the future well yeah but that's what every company does i mean well let's talk about nest who's a great example of what the right so how how do nest make money anyone i don't know i don't have one service no charge well yes and no Nest is free to use right now. Right from its partnerships. You basically have it installed and you pay 300 quid. It's installed. That's it. You've got it. Right. Do they have a service charge? No. Exactly. So that in itself, I don't even... I mean, what, are they going to charge people monthly for AI boilers or whatever? I don't think that's a, a, a. I don't know. All right, service charge I can understand because um, when it comes to things like home cameras, which Nest do, because Canary, for example, have a service charge which you know gives you backups and unlimited data or whatever it is. Um, but in terms of in terms of Nest only be making money through selling their products is is great because they can release new products and people will buy them. Yeah, but what I'm trying to say here is. You've got a team of people, uh, as a business, you've got a team of people at a fixed cost per month. You've got a lot of engineers. Yes, you've got the backing of Google, thankfully. So, But you're selling, you sell a million units and, let's say, the service charge you pay out of that installation, sorry, out of buying it, it's 100 quid, that's 100 million in, uh, in, in turnover, right? That's it. Right? And yes, they might have, okay, these cameras where you pay £10 a month. But realistically, I don't want to pay £10 a month. for. I've got a canary, I don't pay for the service. Neither do I. Exactly. So with banking, you're saying, okay, well, they can make some money, but it's not going to be billions unless they unless they get the whole of the UK, which is 52 million, 100 quid, yeah. You're still way out 5 billion and fixed costs. So how you can't grow that every year. So I don't know what they're going to do with that. I don't see the business model to me. I don't really know what it is. Um, whereas something like Verily, right? This is a really interesting company. They don't make money, but I don't think Google want them to make money right now. They, they're going to make money on their patents and stuff that's created and on the technology that they're designing. So like their contact lens that monitors your blood glucose level which is absolutely crazy. So 
they have got a contact lens that you put in and it's constantly monitoring your glucose level wirelessly. Right? That in itself has applications from the technology side, so power management, the, the, the microcircuitry that allows you to be able to do this. The fact that it's biotech, it's verging on the, the, way, the, the level of biotech. Okay. That's worth a loss. That's all worth having a loss-making company on just the patents, right? On, on this whole idea that in the future, machines will integrate machines on a, on a biomechanical level, right? So there's that. <laughs> I, I, the interesting thing about um, that kind of, you know, uh, contact lenses and things like that is a lot of people currently are, you know, like, oh, I don't know about those, but given, give it 10, 20 years and maybe more than that when the next generation are growing up, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, this is, this is normal stuff. And they're, they're going to love it. So who knows? They, they, they might potentially make a lot of money from that in the future. I don't think it's going to be 10, 20 years, though. I think it's going to be 5, 10. I don't know. I mean, you get so many people nowadays that are still conscious about this kind of stuff. They'll be dead in five years. I I would be conscious <laughs> about putting in a contact lens in, Jordan. Why? And I won't. Be, I hope I won't be dead in five years. You're not really the target market here. I think people who are constantly pricking themselves in the fingers to record their uh, blood glucose levels would love to have something that is just doing it for them. And this comes back to that whole idea of ambient computing that we were talking about with Apple. That is going to be a thing that kind of takes off. There's going to be less computing and technology where it is a beige box that sits on the floor and more things are just there there is just you know compute power around us there are displays and information around us and there are devices capturing data and you know for people who are constantly having to stick a little needle in their thumb all the time having a contact lens in is probably a really attractive idea especially given especially especially given the fact that it'll be a life-saving device you know, if you don't take your insulin, slash, something goes wrong with your blood sugar, and you get an instant alert to your watch. Yeah, and know. it's not just the, the the fact that it would alert you; it could affect, it could alert other people. So, moving on, uh, Microsoft, which they actually have the, if we're talking about healthy in terms of diversity, uh, they have the, the the healthiest one out of all of these, uh, with with various percentages across all the different platform, which, uh, platforms, which is actually really good to see because a lot of these companies are very um, largely reliant, it seems, on their, their, their you know, main product, I guess you could call it. But Microsoft are doing pretty well in, in various different areas. 28% of that is the Office uh, group. So that includes their, their Office Cloud services, Office 365 which is really good for businesses to just have access to email and, you know, better than the old model of buying boxed software, which is what Microsoft used to sell. And this um, this kind of just shows how they really embrace the cloud because the next highest is 22%, which is Windows Server and Azure. Again, they are 
yes, Windows Server, uh, you run, you can run on-premise, but a lot of this is kind of cloud-based again. Um, you've also got, I'm, I'm going to go in the order that, in, that it is in the graphic for if anyone's looking at, uh, as, the, as we talk about it. The next one on the list is Xbox, which again is powered by things like uh, Xbox Live, but there is also the hardware there and the games as well. Uh, next after that, Windows, and then we've got advertising, Microsoft Surface, and other, which is quite large with uh, 18%. So on that other note, I was I was actually wondering what goes into that other and just some companies I have that they, you know, own here is Skype, LinkedIn, uh, and Mojang, which is obviously a huge one. But I assume Mojang would go into Xbox. Um, I think they're operated separately. Um I don't know if they would go into Xbox. Uh they might be they might be included under that division. I'm not actually sure on how they split those, the, the reporting. They they keep changing. As someone who's watched the uh, Microsoft for a long, long time, they do regularly change how they report on their money. And this means that actually some of the previous um, reports that they had in the past literally do not line up with the new ones at all because of the way that they report and things has changed. And people do go back and then try and re- uh, reshuffle the previous for um, the previous amounts uh, reports to make them fit into the new model. But from from my point of view, I I just tend to look at them every year and just think, oh, that's interesting. I don't tend to go back across them so much. But I do know that as a company, they've obviously embraced the cloud in a massive way, which was something that um, was initiated by Bulma when he was still there, and that is how this is a lot of this diversity happens yes they've got a lot of products but they've they've really used that power of the cloud to to increase the because if you think about something like office you know once you buy a box of office that's it you've got it that was always the way for a long time and people didn't want to buy a new version oh i bought office two years ago why do i need to buy it again that's stupid but now i mean i pay for a subscription uh to office personally because I want to be able to use the applications. And therefore, it just works out better for me to just pay them that that bit of money. And I, I get a load of stuff like um, OneDrive storage, which I use, and other services. So the, the primary reason for me having a, an Office subscription was actually for OneDrive. So Yeah, it's a good way of doing it. It's a very good way of doing it. I don't use any of their other services. But the fact is, they're selling it. Yeah, as part of that subscription, you also get a few other extras. So you get money for Skype calls and things like that as well. But, you know, it is really about having things like Word um, and Excel and PowerPoint. Those are kind of like the, the big ones that you get access to by getting into Office. And for many businesses, that's, that's a, a really kind of important thing to have. Yes, there are uh, alternatives from people like Google, but... Uh, which probably are becoming more more relevant to people today, but traditionally a lot of people used Office anyway, so Office was a really good a really good choice there. I know I know a lot of uh, modern I, I I don't know if you could say that m- younger people who are using cloud connected doc you know document services and stuff like that are actually using things like Google Docs. They use it quite a bit in education um, in the US, um, as I've I've heard. Uh, so there, I mean, but it seems that Microsoft have always got that um, 
that business edge on them, which so businesses don't go to Google Docs, they they use Office. Yeah, well, the, the business edge is actually a really, um, really important thing to keep in mind here. When you look at those top two, so Office, Windows Server and Microsoft Azure, when you think about those uh, together, those two different things, they work together in uh, so many ways because they kind of build an ecosystem. If you are a business thinking about how you want to actually look after all of the directory of all your users that are in the business, especially if you're a very large organization, you need to be able to actually organize all those users into groups and other kind of systems. When you've got the distribution lists and things like that in Office integrated with the way that you manage the authentication on the machine, it's all part of the same directory of users. And that's that's come from Microsoft being an on-premise company and they've moved it into the cloud. You know, originally you used to have set up your infrastructure inside of your organization and you would set up Windows servers running Active Directory and you would add all your users to that. Now you run Active Directory in the cloud and your Office account is, your Office 365 account is linked to that Active Directory. So you've got one password to log in and get access to all of these things, whether that's their computer that's running Windows or whether that's the, um, you know, the, the mail app in running in the cloud. Um, so they kind of all work together. And I don't think that's something that you would, I, I know that Google Apps does support some kind of federated login, but it's not the same. It's kind of like Microsoft have taken this from being back office software up into the cloud rather than being, uh, so, so it has that kind of business customization built right into it whereas the Google one has come more from the consumer apps into things like education and small businesses. I think they want large businesses as well, but I don't know how successful it is in large businesses. So do we have any have any thoughts based on where uh, Microsoft are progressing in terms of their revenue share and their company in general? I know they're obviously making a loud... Uh, a loud? They're obviously making uh, a quite big push on the... Uh, VR and AR side of things. Uh, they they have a cloud presence, so I don't know if saying that they're making push on cloud. They're they're already doing that, yeah. And I think that's going to progress. But I'm I'm more interested in what what could be new here. The really interesting thing for for me that I always find from this stuff, and the reason that you know I've probably got more to say about this than the others is because I've as a Microsoft developer, a developer on the Microsoft platform, I have been interested in the company for a while, quite a long time, and I've seen them change over time in the different parts of the business. When you look at this, it's it's obvious that things like their mobile efforts have just not happened in the way that they were hoping. I think they are waiting for um, uh, some changes in the way that that kind of mobile computing can be delivered, and they will probably be there and ready with their operating system by the time that happens. So I think there will be improvements across all of these uh, different areas. So Office itself, we know that they want to um, improve the way that you can create small applications built on the Office platform. They've got a common data system that works in the back end now. That if you um, if you create a small bit of, uh, a small application using something like Power Apps, you can create a small app that then uh, moves data from one place into another and lets businesses build these kind of small tailored applications 
for anything. And I think that fits in with this kind of idea of ambient computing as well. Obviously, Windows Server and Azure will just continue uh, in a similar way to they are now, but I think they'll probably grow and become more diverse. We know that the Xbox is getting an update with, I think it's, is it next week? Uh, E3, the, the new uh, Project Scorpio will be announced, which is the 4K Xbox, which has had, got some amazing technology behind it. It will be interesting to see what that does in terms of sales. Uh, they are going for a higher end market here. It's not going to be a cheap device. I think it's going to be more expensive, but it will also support the mixed reality stuff that they're working on. And that really fits yeah, and that, and that really fits Xbox and Windows kind of fit together in that sense because of the fact that they run that same common platform. But that is that is an uplift. So the whole, you know, mixed reality systems, uh, HoloLens, everything from that they're doing now is to uplift usage of things like Microsoft Azure, uh, Xbox, Windows, right? It, it's not necessarily a direct revenue stream. It's okay, I'm a developer who wants to develop for the HoloLens. I know I'm going to need some kind of cloud service to do some machine learning, to look at um, facial recognition or whatever. Offload the processing, uh, the physics processing and things like that. Uh, yeah, same with, okay, well, to develop for it, I need to use Visual Studio, so I need to buy a Windows machine. Or, oh, I want to develop some mixed reality on Xbox. Again, you'll need a gold subscription, etc., etc. So... They still do subscriptions like that, right? Yeah, they do. And they and they all kind of work together. Um, the interesting one for me will be the Surface. So the Surface has done well and it has been well received. Uh, I think it made it went down a little bit in this, in this last quarter because of the fact that there haven't been uh, new devices. And where there have been new devices, they haven't necessarily been available everywhere. But some of the innovations that they do there are quite impressive. And... This kind of comes back to me thinking that, um, yes, they've missed the mobile phone as we know it today, but there is a, a large opportunity for a different type of mobile computer. And they're currently uh, working on a version of, of Windows 10 that runs on ARM chips, uh, a full version of Windows 10. They've had versions of Windows that run on ARM chips previously, but this is a full version of Windows 10 that runs on an ARM chip. And when you start thinking about having a device that's quite small and has the you know similar size, I suppose, to a phone, but has a full operating system and a, a composable shell built into it that will let you ch- kind of change the form factor easily. Well, I think that will probably be quite popular, not necessarily with consumers, but I think with businesses, what you often see these days is is executives walking into meetings with two phones and they stack these two phones up. One's their personal phone, which is an iPhone, and the other one's a business phone, which is an iPhone. And they've also got, you know, a tablet or a laptop or something else. When that business phone... In the past, it was a BlackBerry as well. Yes, yes. I think the business... I think business phone is not necessarily something that Apple has uh, control over. Consumer phones are different, but I think business phones, it's a different type of decision. And when you say, oh, okay, I've got this device that is directly linked into that infrastructure in the cloud that we talked about, that authentication infrastructure, something that can be remotely wiped, something that can uh, log in using a single system that's across everything, 
that you can manage and you can say, oh, well, I'm going to host a private store that has our small business applications all work together. Suddenly having a smaller device that is, you know, a Windows device that is a cellular PC, cellular phone in one makes a lot of sense. And I would, I would like to see that coming. Um, and whether that does increase the revenue on or from Surface or not, I don't know. But I, that's where what I would really like to see. And I think it's worth, you know, final kind of mention on, on Microsoft is that they they are incredibly obvious about what they want. They are really clear. They tell people what they want. And what you need to do is you need to look at whichever one at the time is the latest. Microsoft uh, Future Vision video and see what they think is coming up in the next five years or so. And the interesting thing is, if you now look at the uh, some of their old Future Vision videos, a lot of that stuff has come to pass. And if you look at the latest one now, it has small PCs with foldable screens. It has ambient computing with screens on on uh, just kind of like on the wall, data being projected on the wall and stuff like that. It has these very large displays, which are just like a Surface Hub. It shows intelligence, like being able to sense when someone is, uh, for, from a productivity point of view, in the zone, and then to automatically switch on do not disturb. It shows all of these kind of things, and you just think, well, they're, they're just blatantly telling telling everyone what they're planning on doing. They're working on these things. And, you know, those kind of things, I think, are probably the things that are going to come. I don't think there's anything super secret and special that we don't know about. I think the HoloLens was the last one like that. I know that they are working on other technologies like that. But I think, look at the future, the, the latest future vision video, which we'll put in the show notes, and that's probably where they're going. Second to last is Amazon, uh, which 72% from Amazon products. Um, 18% from Amazon Media, 9% from web services, and 1% other. So Amazon have been around for, what, I think it's more than 25 years, is it? And they have only just started making money. It's crazy that their revenue is more than Apple, well, not not more than Apple, but more than Alphabet and more than Microsoft. I think... The thing that actually makes money for them is AWS, whereas things like their products from Amazon, when you you get things shipped to you, they lose money, and they have done historically. But it's really difficult with Amazon because they're a bit of a... I'd say they're more mysterious than Apple in a lot of ways because you don't realise that they don't make money. They really don't. Do you know what I mean? You you think Amazon, they're, you, know, you you buy Prime, right? And you get this next day delivery of any product that's, you know, Primeable. They lose money on that. But I think one of the interesting things about this is that that comes from their origin. Their origin story was, let's get, uh, you know, book selling online. Let's deliberately go for something generic. You know, Amazon does not say books you know, the, the whole idea behind it was, you know, from A to Z, anything is is uh, for sale, even though they started with books. And it was just to be cheaper, to make sales through that. And they didn't have any stores. 
they are basically warehouses that are organized um, in whatever way is optimal to actually get the stuff out of the door. They don't, it, it's purely about we get stuff in, we sell it. We get stuff in, we sell it. And we try and do it as cheap as possible. I use them because of the fact that the with Prime and things like that, it's just so convenient. And I think that's what they went for. Um, and of course, the web services have just fallen out of that. That was their target. And they needed to build web services for themselves to do it. And that's how they've become you know, available. Similar thing with media, like media, they want to sell this stuff as cheap as possible. They know that not everyone's going to buy a DVD in the future. So they need to have another way of being able to sell those things. It's it's just, it's really interesting because of course their background is very different. They, it wasn't necessarily about the technology in that way. It was about shifting products. It's, it, it's, it's a really kind of different, for a tech company, it's a really different origin, I think. The the one thing I wanted to say that relates to something we spoke about earlier was the the sales of the Echo products, the Echo line of products, which seems to be doing very well. In February, uh, by February, sorry, there was eight point two million sales of an Echo, which is amazing. Um, and I, you know, they're releasing more products now, and I, I'm starting to think that. I I do think that is it amazing? the the Echo line of products for, for something like that, yeah, sure. These are people, you know, putting these things in their home. Eight point two million people who have embraced the amazing benefits that the Echo has to offer. So, the yeah, I think with the the fact that the Echo line of products is only going to expand and people are starting to embrace them even more than they have already, which is great. I I I don't know with this whole the whole smart home thing. I think they're really they're really going to push forward with and people are looking you know people are wanting to get into the smart lights and stuff like that and they are doing um and i know ikea just released their own smart lights um which are actually really cheap and the echo is probably going to be able to integrate with them which is amazing and i reckon uh amazon are actually gonna probably stomp forward as kind of the the central hub operating system for the home isn't it yeah, and that's because they have a product. They have Amazon.com where you can you can hit a button and go. Right, I need more. I need more washing powder. You say to the Echo, right? I need more washing powder. It it'll do something. It's useful. Uh, anything else to say on Amazon? They have their media, their media system. So what's that? That's music. I know that the. What do they call it? Amazon Video? Prime Video. No, because the Prime Video is something else. Is it? I think it's a little bit confusing because as a user of Amazon Prime, I get access to this Prime Video. But if I want to buy a video that is not on Prime, I have to pay money, which makes sense. But they don't really have that much on Prime anyway. They've got a few shows, but nothing that really interests me that much. So it... And this isn't something that I asked for. I got it as part of of originally buying Prime Delivery. And they've given me a load of cloud services, um, which I didn't want. So storage, video, uh, I think they've got some other things as well. They keep trying to sell me, um, uh, I can't remember what they call it, Kindle Unlimited or something, which lets you read as many books as you want on the Kindle. But Well, if they're not investing in the tech, then why well, would yeah, exactly. buy that? Why would I? 
I don't I don't know. I mean, I got a Kindle. Sorry, it's just called a Fire now, but I got a Fire tablet, a seven inch one, because I thought it would be a better Kindle experience than my Kindle. Um, and it would also let me use some other applications that I wanted to use. It wasn't really. It's, it's not that great. I mean, it's, it uses the new font and things like that, but having the e-ink screen is is better than having an LCD screen for reading books. And I, I feel like the the media services are just not something that I'm interested in. So I don't watch those things on the on the Kindle Fire. If I if I do anything on the on the Fire, it'd be something like Netflix. I didn't ask for this thing, this video thing from from Amazon. The Amazon Video uh, platform for me, or, sorry, Amazon Prime Video is what I have access to. And it is purely because I have Prime because I'm an impatient person. And when I order something, I want it as soon as possible. So I, I get, uh, you know, obviously you get various other products like uh, Amazon's music service and Prime Video. And I think Prime Video is just something that I, I if I'm trying to search for something to watch that I just need something, I, I just don't care what it is. I just want to find something new to watch. Uh, Amazon Prime Video is something that I will I will choose. Apart from that, I you know Netflix, uh, Now TV for certain uh, shows, and then YouTube is basically what I watch. Uh, Amazon Prime Video is not something I consider apart from uh, you know a last resort. Now, just a quick question on that. Actually, sorry if you don't mind me asking, is that do you look at it because of the fact that the Apple TV shows stuff from multiple sources? The Apple TV does not currently have the ability to stream Amazon Prime Video. Ah, interesting. So you're actually going to the Amazon Prime. You're like, I can't find anything anywhere else. So Correct. I'm looking at it. Okay, right. I mean, we all know what it's like when you sit there for five minutes trying to find out something to watch on Netflix. You don't have anything. You go to the next one. You know, you've watched everything you wanted to on YouTube. So, you, you, you know, you try everything, right? And then you probably resort to something that you've already seen. Like, oh, screw it. I'm going to watch you know whatever and that is basically what amazon prime video is for me it's just something else and also um given the fact that uh the grand tour was on there uh, i want to see i'd be interested to see how much money they made uh, in terms of trying to get subscriptions at then uh during that period and if that's dropped off at all the last point on amazon i wanted to make was that uh, i am uh have been up until last last week an audible user um because i i've really cannot read articles and actually ingest them so a lot of audio content is great for me um and i know jules you're an audio audible person as well and they have to make some they must be making some good money off that because i mean that the subscription's quite that the subscription's quite limited I originally thought when I heard of Audible before I'd, I looked into it, I originally thought that'd be, you know, like a Spotify for books where you, you know, you pay a monthly fee yeah. and you get access to everything. They don't really that's do not that. The case. No. So they they get money in terms of subscriptions and people actually buying credits off them, uh, which they have do some, you know, some great offers, which uh, I have also bought before. So they must make some good money from Audible. But of course, their general earnings are low. To say the least. Facebook. Yeah. This is a great one. Um, Jordan talking earlier about Alphabet being 88% of thin air. Um, Facebook is 97% thin air. No, but that's because that's what Facebook is in all in all ways. Like, 
Like that is Facebook. Their their business model is Facebook. It's gonna come from Facebook. This other at three percent. Uh, I guess it's selling stuff on Messenger stickers or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be um, from their marketplace. It'll probably take a commission off things at Farmville or whatever. It was when you buy coins. So uh, they own various companies, including uh, WhatsApp, Oculus, Instagram, Accenture, Accenture, uh, Masquerade, and some AI companies, which is pretty cool. Um, Instagram are actually doing extremely well, which is a great investment for them. Um, and obviously now we're offering adver- uh, more adverts, which is making you more money. You say it's a great investment, but where, what, what, what have, we seen? have you got any figures to back that up? Okay, so back when Facebook bought Instagram for a billion dollars in 2012, they had 13 full-time employees, which is pretty crazy, um, which is, you know, a good, a good kind of small team kind of thing, which is great. Uh, they had... 400 million users and i'm pretty sure that is now double to you know over 800 million users which is crazy and now you know they're they're making they're making a lot of money they're making millions in revenue how how many millions andrew so the first quarter of 2016 they made 570 million in revenue which is nearly 10 percent of facebook's overall projected revenue for that period the app will contribute 3.2 billion um to dollars to facebook's revenue for all of 2016 right okay good investment then so yeah they've, they've done they've done really well on that one that could have been a that could have been a well i don't know it could have been a it's a risky investment buying a company that is making any money however having 400 million users i suppose uh helps well it's the same it's the same with whatsapp they bought mm. whatsapp for 19 billion so this is an interesting thing i think this is probably worth just touching on those extra apps that Facebook has, the majority of them are duplicates of things that they already have. They have a photos experience in Facebook. They used to have a separate photos app for iOS. I don't know if they still do. I think they integrated it back into the main app. Um, So Instagram is not that experience, but they've got their own inside of Facebook. WhatsApp is not Facebook messenger. But they do. It does a similar thing. It's it's a bit of a strange type. It's it's a strange portfolio of applications. They're all doing a very similar thing, but they kind of compete with each other in some ways. Yeah, I mean, they, they, so what the the idea for buying WhatsApp was for um, the user base, mobile numbers, and 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 so one of the things that WhatsApp did very well. And one of the reasons why they bought WhatsApp was because you could get WhatsApp on all sorts of phones that were old school. So things like old school Nokia phones, right, you could get WhatsApp for, right? And what that meant was third world countries who were much poorer than these first world countries where people would go around the junkyard and pick up like a Nokia 6310 with WhatsApp on it or whatever it was, would be using WhatsApp to communicate, right? So from a user base, what it allowed them to do was access a set of users in countries that they actually weren't using Facebook, but were using WhatsApp. Which is crazy when you think about the reach of WhatsApp versus the reach of Facebook, because even though they may, they may not have had as many users, the kinds of people that were using WhatsApp were actually not the kind not not us right like not people who are in the uk or the us or australia or china or whatever they were in africa 
and you know the Middle East uh, countries in the Middle East. So interesting. I mean, personally, growing up in the the Apple ecosystem, or you know, being part of the Apple ecosystem, I typically prefer to talk to people on iMessage because it, it offers everything over that of the internet, right? I, I prefer it. It's built into my phone. It works really well. I didn't quite realize how many people actually use WhatsApp until a couple of years ago, uh, being at work and having a conversation with a colleague about it. And I, I you know, I find it crazy. Like all my family, they, they tend to talk on WhatsApp, which is annoying, uh, but I, I get it. One of my kind of biggest interactions with the stuff that Facebook does is with their open source initiatives. And that's nothing, that's not on here at all. But Facebook, I see Facebook as a better company because of the fact, because from a developer point of view, they are providing very interesting platforms. They have some very interesting open source initiatives and it gives him, it really lifts them up in my eyes in terms of what the company's like. I don't necessarily care for the Facebook app, the main Facebook experience, but Facebook as a company, I pref- I like, I prefer because of the fact that they've got these extra things. It's, I suppose it's a bit like a halo effect. Yeah, I mean, just on that, I mean, I use Facebook's open source technologies literally day in and day out at, at work and on personal projects and whatever technical things I'm doing. Um, in terms of using the the Facebook app, is something that I've, I've been phasing out. In fact, like I got a notification from Facebook the other day that I haven't posted in there in something like two or three months. And I was like, well, that's... And they, said, they tried to make it sound like a <laughs> negative thing, but I was actually... That's, that's pretty good. I was like, I'm doing pretty well. I had to turn off the notifications then because I visit it so... Uh, it, um... It's so few and far between that my actual visits to Facebook amount to anything, amount to any interactions. Sometimes I would open it up, but I wouldn't necessarily do stuff. That it started telling me, it was just be like, you know, friend A has posted a picture. Friend B has replied to their own status. as we record this podcast, I got one of those notifications and I instantly thought, I don't care. They they don't mean anything. They just don't mean anything. It's it's just an attempt to get you in. And that's why my notifications are turned off. The real pain is is Messenger. If you turn off the notifications on Messenger, I don't know if you've ever seen this, they they put a permanent number one on your... uh, Well, on Windows, it's a live tile. But I think on iOS, they do the same thing. If you turn off the notifications, they send you a one all the time so you can never clear... I can just turn off badge icons, though. Ah, so you can turn off the icon on it. Okay. Yeah, I can, yeah. yeah but it's, it's sneaky that they do that. The icon... I would just delete the bloody application if they did that. Yeah, I know. On, for some reason, on the on the phone, I can't actually turn off... For some reason, on Windows Phone, you can't turn off live tiles. If you pin it, it's a, it becomes a live tile. On Windows 10 on the desktop, you can um, have a tile pinned, but turn off the liveness so you don't see any... Uh, numbers. But what that means is that if I do, and I've unpinned it now, but if I do have Messenger pinned on my home screen, it's constantly got a one because it's telling me that my notifications are turned off. So I just don't bother pinning it now. But bringing this back to the original conversation about Messenger apps is the fact that I don't use Facebook uh, standard app ever. Like for, I haven't used it for months now. I'm not interested in it. In fact, the only time I get notifications now is those those ridiculous ones. Um, telling me that I haven't used it, as well as uh, a company page that I have telling me how many views I, I have, and which is annoying. Uh, and I just, I'm just not interested in it. 
but the my original point was because of that I, i'm not interested in talking on facebook messenger like i said I, i'd prefer to talk on imessage right and same with whatsapp same with any other messaging platform i'm not interested and i understand that they're trying to make a big push on this and people sit on facebook chat i guess uh, i know i have done it when i was younger uh, and i guess they still do but personally i'm not interested and i i I'm not sure if I ever will be. And also, I just like to point out that group chats are the worst thing in the entire world for productivity. Yeah, but 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 you got to keep in mind we also like the three of us, we use things like Slack to communicate with each other. And sure. uh, I think if we did not have that, we would probably find another way of doing that similar kind of communication. I think those kind of things are, are, are good in general. I mean, I spent uh, a lot of my youth uh, growing up using IRC um, and I used uh, things like Yahoo Messenger as well. So I think those kind of things have a very long, uh, rich history on the internet, group chats, discovery, finding new people, channels, topics. It's a very, very common thing on the internet. I think uh, perhaps what it is for us in particular is that we don't tend to use those things to find new friends these days. I mean, I'm speaking for you guys here. We've, we've, we've got the people that we want to talk to. We've got the things that we're doing. We've got the things that we're interested in. We are communicating with each other to produce things you know, just to communicate for the sake of communication, but also to produce things together, to work together. Whereas we're not kind of going out to discover people with, you know, similar interests or whatever. And I think, you know, people tend to do that more so on Facebook and stuff like that. I mean, I was just going to say that I, I tend to, if I'm discovering someone, I would I would use Twitter. I would, I would tweet them or, you know, interact with them about something they're tweeting about. Um, but just on just back on the point of muting group conversations, Jordan, um, even if you mute a WhatsApp group conversation, you still get badge notifications, which is extremely infuriating because that is not not really muting it. And the fact is, I like I said earlier, I use Facebook, uh, sorry, WhatsApp to talk to my family or whoever needs to talk to me on there that doesn't have an iPhone, for example. And I want to see their badge notifications. I want to see their notifications, but I don't want to see a muted group channels on there it's, oh, it's infuriating so just to wrap up um i was going to ask you guys where you think uh this this graph could change in the future in terms of companies uh which companies um do, you know might be on the top five in five years from now not twitter do you reckon twitter will disappear within five or five years i don't think years? so i don't think they will because at the end of the day, I think it's been proven that the world uh, in general wants Twitter. People want it. People want to have yeah. that thing. But Twitter themselves don't know what to do with it. And they don't know how to make money on it, really. Uh, I think no one wants to pay for it, but everyone wants it. It's a, it's a very weird situation to be in. I would love to see Twitter stay around. I would love to see them to continue to support new platforms. But I just don't see them on this list. And even if they were on this list, how would they? What would their diversity in in you know revenue? Well, be? that's the thing. They they have practically no revenue, so they wouldn't be on this list anyway. Exactly. So I can't. I just can't imagine it. But they are. You know, they feel like one of the big tech companies, but but they're not really. 
they're not really on here at all. I don't know. I don't know. I would be I'd be interested to see how things change. Um, you know, as someone who, in particular, the Microsoft products are interesting to me because of the fact that I use them a lot. I don't in any way feel like I need to see them higher in this list. Um, you know, I, I would like to see I would like to see some some new products from them, but I don't necessarily care where they are on this list as long as as long as the developer experience and the consumer experience that I get from their products is good. Yeah, on that note, I if we were to remove an item from this list, I originally would have said Facebook, but then I just realized I, I use their, their open source stuff daily, which is, you know, an incredible part of my life, uh, a very important part of my life, should I say. Um, Amazon, I, the only thing is, you know, Audible, which does pretty well for me, and the products, is, um, I'd probably would be annoyed if, if I couldn't get products of Amazon anymore. Microsoft, obviously, Azure, um, I'm, I have an Xbox, but I don't use it. And OneDrive I use for storage. Alphabet, I'm just gonna say Google and YouTube, you can do about that. And obviously Apple are the biggest one for me because I'm in the Apple ecosystem. So I just don't, I don't know which one, I, I guess Amazon would be have to, the one that I'd get rid of, it's Amazon or Facebook. Yeah, I don't really feel any particular brand loyalty to Amazon. I just use them. I see I see them similar That's to Tesco's. That the utility is huge mm. to the point where it's, it's worth having. Jordan, what do you think? I can't relate to any company other than Microsoft. And it's about like that emotional... I think there was a time, I think it's, it's about having that emotional attachment to a company for various reasons, right? See, with Apple, I have an attachment to them and it's more of a nostalgic atta- attachment. Um, you know, I had a, I, I started on OS 7, so, you know, I'm always going to have an emotional attachment to Apple. But with Microsoft, I have more of an emotional attachment because they impact my daily lives. Uh, sorry, daily lives. They lives. They input impact my daily life. You know, every day, Microsoft is at the heart of what I do more so than Apple with my phone because I am working in my, with Microsoft technologies. I'm speaking to Microsoft's people. We are, I you know, building a company on Microsoft platform. Um, we use Office and OneNote and everything that I think about my life with productivity now is revolves around Microsoft, their computers um, are, are great. You know, my Surface Book is more of an extension to, of, of me than a MacBook, you know, um, and that's why, you know, the affinity there... It's like how Jules says, you know, I think of Amazon like Tesco. I totally get where that's coming from. They're a shop on the corner that you would see and go, yeah, I'll, I'll use them for convenience. But you don't use Microsoft just for convenience. You use it because it actually has an impact on your life, right? And I, I know I know Facebook, uh, for you and me especially, when, when it comes to their, their technology aspects, um, I mean, from the, the infrastructure side of things, when we've previously run these systems together, they have definitely been a, a huge part of that. So I know on, on the technical developer side of this, you probably have a, 
well, we probably have quite a strong relationship with them. Yeah. Um, emotionally. Yeah, but on, on their engineering side, I'd say more so on their their actual product side. So you know. Yeah, that's that's why. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so yeah, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. and that's mm, an interesting, an interesting. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Com- not comparison, but contrast. Sorry. To falling in love with the company, mm-hmm. falling in love with certain technology that yeah. they come out with. Right, and there's a, like there's a big difference there. Yeah, and so, I think that is that is a very interesting way of putting it because I don't currently use much Apple stuff, but as a company, I really like the stuff that they make, and I'm always really interested. I watch the keynotes, even though I'm probably not going to buy any of the products on there. I just I have that attachment to the to the company, in a similar way to you know Facebook being all about the. The open source tools and technologies that they do obviously Microsoft's a big part of the the job the work that I do and then you know the really different uh, um, view on Amazon and Alphabet to the others um, in comparison it's it's really interesting actually each each one has this completely different feeling about it but more importantly each one has had a huge impact on the technology industry as a, as a software engineer. Yeah. So we've got Amazon with Dynamo, um, with the Dynamo paper in DynamoDB, which led to, into things like Cassandra, which came off Facebook. You've got Google's big table system, which has kind of, again, underpinned Dynamo to a degree. And again, brought things like Hadoop and HDFS um, into the light. Bearing in mind that was actually Yahoo, I think, that kind of came out with Hadoop originally. And then you've got Apple, who... <laughs> it's strange because, you know, they have s- some amazing talent, but, you know, they come out with things like Swift um, and, and programming languages that take from things like Golang and JavaScript, right? And then you've got... Well, I'm a, well I think I've gone through them all, haven't I? Microsoft, obviously, from what look what they're doing. Uh, with transpo- transposing uh, x86 system calls to ARM ARM chips via an emulation layer, you know. Alphabet's machine learning is... is... Yeah, Alf- Alphabet have things like AlphaGo and they're doing a lot of DeepMind stuff, right? But uh, I think we need to be careful about using machine learning because it's a blanket term. Um, you know, if you're talking about things like TensorFlow, then yeah, absolutely. TensorFlow has, ma- has, has made a huge impact on the... Um, the acceleration of of these companies, these big four companies um, that we see working in the AI space, pushing out their cognitive toolkits from Microsoft. You know, Google TensorFlow, Facebook have their you know deep learning kit as well. Um, I think it's that competition that has bred the increase in development and and on on the AI side um, and the machine learning side. But it's really difficult because the other people see this as oh machine learning you know and there's a blanket term so it's, it's difficult um to, to, to put down but they've all had an effect on each other on the technology side which is which is obviously yeah an interesting thing competition's to know. a good thing yeah all of these companies um have some kind of rivalry with with one or more of the others yeah but they've embraced open source right so Cassandra became open yeah. source. All of these um, companies have embraced open source. Yeah. Uh, um, less so with, with, with Apple, but yeah, 
Well, no, now obviously Swift is open source, right? So it's difficult. Yeah, but what else, really? I mean, that's a, that's an entire topic. Yeah, I mean, that is an entire topic, but it's not that they haven't embraced it. Um, like every other company, like the reason they're embracing open source now is because I think when the accelerated development of a platform and an ecosystem, having the community involved makes people that there's a retention there, right? So, so wrapping up then, quick fire: which which company out of these these five would you bin off? If you could. Alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Linking that back to the initial topic. Jordan? Uh, I'm going to say Facebook. I'm going to say Amazon. Thanks for listening to the Mavis Podcast. You can find the show notes for today's episode at mavispodcast.com and tweet us any questions you may have at Mavis Podcast on Twitter. Once again, we'd really appreciate your reviews on iTunes under Mavis. And finally, you can find Julian on Twitter at Julian K, Jordan at Jordan is on fire, and I'm at Andrew Halfway.